mental problem. But what will you say to someone who's, you know, wanting something which is not there, looking for something in a place where it is not? Call the person mad. And this is the garden variety psychosis, which the last <laughs> chapter, you know, of the Veda discusses in great at great length. This is the psychosis, this is the whole madness that I am looking for something that I cannot seem to have, that is not there. And so what becomes the individual response? The individual response becomes one of control. Everyone becomes a control king, a control queen. You see it also in the animal kingdom, you know. Dog, you just take the dog. And uh, the dog is territorial. Who decides what is its territory? It itself decides. And it has to settle accounts with other dogs in the neighborhood. One dog comes out as the alpha dog. And then it decides what the territory is. Sometimes it's the backyard or the front yard of the house, the compound of the house. Sometimes it's the whole neighborhood. You start taking a walk and the dog starts to bark. As soon as you enter the street, it starts to bark. It's protecting the whole neighborhood. Control. Cat. Control. This is my territory. Big cat, lions, tiger, you know, they don't even need to control. They, they just have to look, everything runs away. <laughs> because they are so ferocious. And it is most uh, highly developed, this control, in who? Ah. In, in all the people. Because the feeling is that if I can control my environment, yesterday we talked of the three you know places. What are they? Jiva, you know, Jagat, and Ishwara. Jiva, the individual, Jagat, the surroundings, including this body, mind, sense complex. Interestingly, that is part of the surrounding for us. And then finally, the source of the universe called Ishvara. If I can control the Jagat, the feeling is this, then I am called successful. I can manipulate the Jagat. I can manipulate the five elements. I can manipulate other people. Very lot of fun to do that. <laughs> Everyone listens to me, you know. This is why sometimes people get married because somebody will at least listen to me. At least one person in the universe will listen to me. And then what happens? Nothing happens because very quickly you find out that the partner also thinks the same thing. You know, partner's reason for being with you is also so that they can control you. And children also think they can control the parents and they proceed to and you think, of course, you can control the children. And you proceed to do that. And so the whole Jagat is a fight for control. And so when I say the word Karta, Karta means controller. Control freak. Karta, another synonym for Karta is the control freak. Because think about it. All the actions are coming from a place of insecurity, correct? Because the secure person need not even act. This is what the Vedanta tells us. All actions are coming from a place of trying to make myself more comfortable and to ward off anything that will cause discomfort. These are the only two motivations of actions, for all actions. To ward off discomfort and keep it at bay, Number one, and to attract more comfort, 
and to for which I have to enjoy a greater degree of control in the universe, in the Jagat. These are the only twofold actions. So being a karta or identifying as an actor, I, uh, I become enslaved to either of these two modalities of action. Action as a source of control, action as trying to define my surroundings, to rid it of all things I don't want and to bring in it things that I do want. This is the karta, the controller. And so the controller goes about manipulating the jagat to make everything just right. Everything has to be just right. And the feeling is, the problem is udhar. What does udhar mean? Out there. <laughs> Not idhar. Idhar means atra. Udhar means tatra. In Sanskrit, atra, here. Tatra, there. And so if I think everything is atra, udhar, there. Then I keep roaming around yatra tatra everywhere. <laughs> yatra tatra means without any goal. If I don't have a goal, I go around goal goal. Goal goal means in circles. Yeah. This is what it is. If the goal, the goal cannot be to control my surroundings. That's not really the goal. We have to see that. Even though that has kind of, you know, replaced, it appears to have replaced the real goal. That is not the goal. Even if you ask the greatest control freak on the planet, the biggest karta, why are you doing all this controlling? So that I can enjoy having a sense of superiority. So that I can enjoy having a command, having power, having a status, having money, having security. So really speaking, all that control is for seeking that what which we call the infinite. And therefore what happens? We are in a very interesting situation here. This is what makes one seek the infinite infinitely because one becomes an infinite seeker. And the more you try to control, the whole thing unravels in front of you. That's what happens. And the other thing to know about control is that I try to control the universe because of my insecurity with regards to the universe. I don't know my place. I don't know where I stand. And it gives me great fear that I'm not enough, that I'm not okay, that I want something else. And that I seek this approval from other, so the control seeking, seeking control and seeking approval are again synonyms. Because the one who controls the most is the most insecure of all. Insecurity and control go hand in hand. The person is never satisfied. This quintessential person to whom Vedanta speaks is the one who is permanently dissatisfied and seeking to become contented. How can you become contented? Because the one who becomes contented very quickly becomes discontented. Discontented, contented. Discontented, contented. Karta, bhokta, karta, bhokta. This is what it is. This is the loop. This is the loop. And for which a solution has to come. And the solution is not atra. 
Tatra. Tatra means what? There. Where is the solution? Atra. <laughs> right here. The infinite is not a product in time. The infinite cannot be gained in time. And what is gained in time is lost in time. The infinite is not a product because it is uncreated. Number one. Number two, the infinite is nothing but you. It cannot be outside of you. It has to include you. Otherwise it becomes finite. And you of course feel like you are finite. Mm -hmm. So infinite becomes another finite thing. It's not a thing outside of you. So the one who seeks to control and amass a sense of control in the universe is seeking to control only one thing, oneself, really. But it is easy to see it in others. It's easy to see the problem, to point the problem, Tatra, if only the neighbors would change, I would be okay. If only I had more money, I would be okay. I have money, if only I had more time, I would be okay. If only I had more help, I would be okay. If only the spouse listened to me, I would be okay. If only the children did exactly what I told, I would be perfectly okay. It's all out there, out there, out there. And it seeps into our quest in the spiritual realm as well, you know. If only we were studying some other Upanishad, I would be okay. <laughs> why Kaivalya? You know, why not some other Upanishad? I really wanted to study Taitriya. Why, why she is teaching Kaivalya? If only some other Upanishad were taught, I would be okay. You know, if only some other teacher were teaching it, I would be okay. <laughs> if only it was taught in some other way, I would be okay. I am in Italy. And this is being taught at a funny time. If it only was taught in Italian time, I would be okay. Even in the spiritual realm, this, this, this control spills over. Very fascinating. All because of a sense of insecurity centered on the self. The mind is not insecure. The mind is inert. It has to be blessed by your presence in order to activate in and fall into various thoughts. Mind is inert. Mind is inert. Mind doesn't have a complex. Body doesn't have a complex. Body doesn't say, I'm too fat. Yeah. In fact, it will pile on the calories. Yeah. Mind doesn't say, I'm restless. <laughs> Senses again don't say we are senselessly seeking. The senses don't say that. Who says that? You. Who is this I? Ahankara. The one who is hearing this lecture. That's what I mean. The I notion that says this body is, is mine. I am the master of this body-mind-sense complex. Nay, I am the owner of this body-mind-sense complex. The one who is listening to this talk says, I am not okay. I want hitam. I want absolute hitam. How? By following relative means. How is that possible? I want to be free. Of what? Of seeking. Of this sense of control. This is what I want. And as I said, the Veda and Vedanta both are a unique gift for humankind and therefore what? They are not applicable for animals. They are not applicable to animals because animals even though they may have a sense of a general sense of control it is limited to their territory and food and survival. A human being it's not enough to survive. I want that which is called happiness, which is called a sense of security centered on the self. That, I, that is what I seek. I want a sense of success, 
achievement, accomplishment that is unending. I want to lose this self-discontentment, which is nothing other than self-disapproval. I want to let go of that. This is a uniquely human problem that I do not like myself. Dog doesn't say that. The owner of the dog will say, this is a, you know, pedigreed dog. Here, look at the certificate. The dog doesn't care either about degree or pedigree. It has no qualms. It is fine. It's fine being a mongrel. It's fine being a mutt. It doesn't have a complex. I'm just a mongrel. I'm of mixed parentage. <laughs> I'm neither here nor there. I don't have a sense of belonging. You know, should I behave like the mother's side or should I behave like the father's side? I'm all mixed up. I don't know where I belong. And neither does the dog feel I'm adopted. I was fostered out, you know, when I was eight weeks old. I was taken away from the mother and given to these people. And these people don't know how to take care of me. Doesn't have a complex centered on the I. Does not. And, you know, so therefore, the dog is how it is. And it doesn't. It may have some small desires for one more biscuit, one more bone, but it does not have a desire just like human beings have desire to control the whole universe. doesn't have that. doesn't have a desire to migrate to Western country. You know, doesn't have a desire to get a better job. doesn't have a desire to improve the bark. I have a squeaky bark, I have to I have to get some vocal barking lessons. It doesn't go for any kind of, you know, voice therapy. So from that we understand something. Neither does the cat. Cat doesn't say I'm not popular, I have to become more popular. Nothing. It's just leading its life. And as long as the dog, cat, cow, whatever it is, as long as they're allowed to lead their lives, they are okay. They are not seeking yet one more thing. And that yet one more thing is the human gift, this desire to gain this freedom from seeking is the human gift. That is called the ultimate success is to free oneself from this host of desires that keep one in this cycle of seeking. It's not that the desire itself is wrong. You know, the 10th chapter of the Bhagavad Gita says that the desire is a blessing for humanity. Kamosmi Bharatarshabha, I am in the form of desire. The next line, the fine print says, I am that desire which doesn't go against, you know, which is unrighteous, righteousness. Righteous desire is nothing wrong. Righteous desire, righteously gained through righteous means, nothing wrong in that. But what we have to understand as budding Vedantins, baby Vedantins, is that we are not looking at the individual desires. They are not the problem. We are talking about the status of the individual as the desirer. See the difference. We are not talking of individual desires. We are talking of the individual as the desirer. If the desirer is a permanent attribute to the self, then there is no freedom from seeking. If the desirer is a permanent status of the self, there is no freedom whatsoever. Constantly I am seeking. And when one is seeking, one is not happy. We have already discussed that. Because we seek to be happy. So in seeking, there is no happiness. There is only, what is that? Shrama. Shrama means what? Exhaustion. Shram, to get tired. And too much shrama, of course, leads one to seek an ashrama. (laughs) 
Ashrama here means place of refuge from Shrama. That is Ashrama. That is what it does. Too much Shrama, too much exhaustion because one is spinning the wheels and not going anywhere. Like the, like the proverbial hamster in the cage. You give it a little thing, it feels like it's just pedaling and going round and round in its wheel. And so too the Karta Bhokta cycle and this Jiva hamster, you know, is just moving around, not going anywhere. There is a lot of motion. If you look around, everything is spinning. Mind is spinning, you know, effort is, body is spinning, effort is being made. But for what? Oh, to collect, maybe if I collect a lot of finite, it will become infinite. I've already told you, finite plus finite is what? Doubly mm -hmm. finite. Yeah. And that's a fine thing to know. <laughs> and so therefore, the quest here, there's something wrong with the quest. Because the quest, the problem with the quest is not the seeking itself, not the desire itself. But the status of oneself, the identification of oneself as a permanently desiring person, that is the problem. And why does that mistake happen? Because I feel I'm not enough. And because of this insecurity, one becomes a desiring person. One identifies as the desirer. And when you identify as the desirer, it becomes a, you know, it becomes like pushing water, treading water. Because you can never satisfy the, that which is insatiable. And if one identifies as a desiring person, one is by definition insatiable. Desirer becomes insatiable. Because one desire, what happens? You fulfill. And since you are permanently a desirer, another one comes, another one comes, another one comes. Animals don't have this problem. They don't want to die. They want to survive. They have fear. All this is there. This is a uniquely human problem that I do not approve of myself. And therefore, I want to fix things up. And by fixing things up, I feel like I can get a modicum of balance and sanity in my life. And of course, it's a no-end, dead-end quest. The more you fix up, the more it unravels. Vedanta is therefore a sacred body of knowledge that fixes up the fixer-upper. That is what is the definition of Vedanta. <laughs> that which fixes up the fixer-upper. The one who is trying to fix up everything. Fix up the house. Sometimes people are like that. They always have some DIY project. What is DIY? Do-it-yourself do it project. You always, you know, I, I know this family. They said, oh, we are buying a new house. Swaminiji, please come and bless the house. I said, okay. Not now, because we are still fixing it up. Next year, they said the same thing. Not now. We are still fixing it up. Not now. We are still fixing it up. Eight years. Yeah. Always something. You know, knocking down something. You know, hammering something. Painting something. And then that paint was not okay. Stripping something. And then stripping that paint. Buying a paint stripper and stripping it. And then the outside is okay, inside is not okay, inside then the whole, you know, all the interior decoration was gutted and redone. And then the outside was, you know, again, the siding was not okay, that was redone. Eight years. Then I said, okay, so you worked on this house really hard for eight years. Now you must be happy. No, actually we are thinking of selling it. <laughs> yeah. This is the human condition. Always trying to fix up. And that is an allegory, a metaphor for, for life. Is that because I feel insecure, I'm constantly fixing up something. And that which fixes up this fixer-upper by showing that there is nothing to fix is Vedanta. 
Because if you are constantly fixing things, fixing up things, you are in a terrible fix. It's a terrible fix to be always fixing things up. And the ultimate fix is Vedanta. Really. And how does it fix? It fixes in a very wonderful way. Anartha Vratan Visharati. Vrata here means a group, a host. Anartha means a host of inauspicious things. Artha means what? That which is desirable. Anartha is undesirable. And so in the words of the Upanishad, it is very undesirable to be a desiring person. <laughs> To look, not to be, to look upon oneself as a desiring person is the most undesirable, inauspicious thing there is. Because it keeps me in this loop of seeking, not seeking the infinite, seeking infinitely. So this is the most undesirable thing. And so I have to, I cannot fix up the whole universe. Even if you fix up the whole universe, you will still be unhappy. No, no, actually I'll be happy to try, you know, try fixing up the whole universe and then ask the significant other. See, I have managed to fix up the universe. And the significant others will say, I don't like how you have fixed it up. And immediately you become unhappy. This is what happens. And that's why there are stories in the Puranas. Puranas means the mythological, historical literature of the tradition, of the Vedic tradition. There are a number of stories in the Puranas that talk about this hubris of thinking that we can fix everything up. And the hubris of thinking that we can run this whole world is embodied in the archetypes, archetypes of, of uh, what are called asuras, demons. We don't have a concept of evil or devil in the tradition, but we have the concept of people whose quest has run away from them. These are asuras or demonic, you know, people. And the name changes, but the, the story is always the same. Actually, the person was very devout, was, was seeking in the correct ways through prayer, worship, through the first portion of the Veda as we described. And then what happened? Somewhere the quest got derailed or the identification with the desirer became too much and so the desire to dominate the world was born in each one of these asuras. The stories, these are the stories we tell children at bedtime and so they become the negative archetypes of how to not seek and so then they wanted to dominate the whole world. And then they read the first portion of the Veda and say, the one who wants to conquer the universe, may they worship Lord Shiva. Maybe it is said like that. They came across a passage. May they do this. And they do what is called Ghora Tapas. Austerities practiced with a vengeance. <laughs> that is Ghora Tapas. <laughs> <laughs> stand on one leg for a century story goes like this you know sit in the shape of a pretzel for 55 years you know and Padmasana pretzel okay maybe it's like a pretzel <laughs> if you look at the pretzel that is Padmasana that is what it is so that they would do all this and then finally, because it is karma, correct? Karma means action. So act, every action has result of action. So the result of action would come in the sense that they would get a big padavi, a big status, which they inevitably abused. Yeah. Because we know that absolute power corrupts absolutely. When British uh, philosopher said that, statesman or philosopher said that, and, you know, so, so here 
the power was not handled properly. So first Karta in the form of the pretzel, then Bhokta, power enjoying the power, but doesn't want to let go or share the power, becomes Karta again to retain the power, becomes cruel even towards one's own loved ones and then meets with a terrible end, always, you know, meets with a terrible end because unleashes the reign of terror. And why do we need to go to the Puranas? We have Hitler, we have Mussolini, we have all these people right now, even in the most recent history. We have dictators. This is what it is. So, they of course form a the other end of the continuum of what is the downfall of the one, the, the ultimate downfall of the one seeking to identify as the desirer. You know, this is this comes fraught with a lot of problems. And so the Puranic stories revealed that this kind of a seeking inevitably leads to a bad end. We have Mahishasura, the buffalo demon. Why buffalo? Because it is full of tamas. What is tamas? Wait till the Panchadashi chapter starts. <laughs> tamas briefly is, is a certain kind of a... Uh, Ignorance, inertia and all those qualities which makes one not feel like getting out of bed in the morning. That is tamas. But one does overcome that and get out of bed. But if one were to give in to tamas, that, you know, all those feelings which bring one down. So the buffalo represents that. You know, it's metaphorically that animal is the mascot of tamas. That is why Shiva sits on the, the bull, buffalo, all these things. That's why Lord Shiva, the, the Nandi, the, the bull is watching, is in front of Lord Shiva surrendered. So when su one surrenders the tamas, then enlightenment, moksha takes place. That is why the Nandi is there. It is also worshipped because I worship the tamas that I have let go of. I worship the act of surrendering the tamas. So bull, buffalo, all these are not very quick moving animals. They are slow you know, they like to live in mud and sludgy places. This is why they become the metaphor of tamas. So Mahishasura, the buffalo demon, has this reign of terror. And the goddess Chamundi, you know, Chamundi means the one who makes off with the head. Yeah. <laughs> head stands for ego. So this buffalo demon, you know, she took this avatara, the goddess, took this Avatar, the story goes. And one nice thing about this, that movie called Avatar is that I don't have to translate the word Avatara anymore. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So she takes on this incarnation of a beautiful damsel. And what does Mahishasura want to do? Marry her immediately. Yeah. And then so she leads him to a place and then cuts off, decapitates him. Yeah. Decapitates even though it looks gory. We have to understand it as the, the loss of the ego. Yeah, because the ego is all in the head. That's why one has a heady feeling. <laughs> I'm the master of all. I'm the monarch of all I survey. My right, there is none to disprove. From center all round to the sea. There is a poem like this. I'm lord of foul and brute. This is what it is. It's brute force, really. And so... The buffalo demon meets a gory end, an inglorious end. And these are to teach the lay people. You know, these are to teach the people that might not have the, you know, wherewithal to, you know, do this, the kind of a thinking and emotional maturity that is required to say, something is wrong in the way that I have been seeking. Something is not quite right. So even for those people, the Veda finds a way to bring them into the into the embrace of Vedanta. That this is at, this is not the right way to go about. Because as long as you identify with, as a desiring person, then the, 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 it is your downfall. Because you keep repeating the same mistake again and again. In this life you are karta, bhokta, karta, bhokta and everything that you have done translates into punya and papa. The two concepts, the good karma and bad karma. For, you know, in order to exhaust that, you have to come back again in this or other fields of experience. 
and then in the process of exhausting other karma if you have a human or human like life with free will you pick up more karma and as a result it becomes kala chakra karma chakra you know it becomes a cycle in in this cycle you are karta bhokta and life after life you are karta bhokta karta bhokta karta bhokta this is the inglorious end mrityu pasha means the the the, the shackles of this repeated deaths this is the repeated death the repeated death is identifying as a desirer is the repeated death and all these demons in the the folklores tell us this hiranyakashipu mahishasura all these raktasura raktasura stands for desires you know his name was raktasura because he had a boon from some devata that even if one drop of blood was spilled on the ground if anybody tried to attempt to kill him it he would immediately be cloned into as many drops of blood as fell as fell on the ground so you see it's a dangerous thing and so desire is like that as soon as you indulge one then millions other crop up and so therefore the reason to graduate from the first portion to the last portion of the veda it is highly recommended in fact there is no choice mm-hmm. it is highly necessary what choice is there should i follow the first portion or should i follow the last portion is like asking swamini ji should i breathe or should i not breathe mm-hmm. no mm-hmm. should i breathe yes. yeah i think it's a good <laughs> idea sometimes you can breathe sometimes you need not breathe is that a possibility no that is the, that is it's a choiceless choice and the the quicker you know this the quicker is the elimination of this identification as the desirer and so that is the subject matter of vedanta sarve vedantaha all the and it's plural because there are many upanishads sarve vedantaha prahinoti prahinoti means remove pranashyanti sarve vedantaha sarve vedantaha yat anarthavratam prahinoti this group of disasters leading from identification as a discontented person and in order to fix up the discontentment i identify as a desiring person and uh, and as a result of the desire i identify as a doing person as the doer and the doer immediately becomes experiencer and the experiencer has to do again because uh, everything that is gained in time is lost in time so this infinite cycle of reproducing the finite this is samsara another definition of samsara the infinite cycle of constantly infinitely reproducing the finite kya kare so this is why one has to graduate to the last portion of the veda whose purport is is ekatva pratipatti ekatva pratipattaya through the communication pratipatti understanding through the comprehension through the communication through the teaching of what ekatvam the oneness ekatva pratipattya through this communication of oneness what does it do it removes the desiring individual and the desiring individual is not a real entity why the abhicharat because there is a there is a uh, changing thing because that which is real cannot change cannot be negated either but the desiring person keeps changing how in sleep are you a de- do you identify as a desirer no but are you there in sleep yes don't say let me sleep now and then i'll tell you later <laughs> you are there in sleep how because afterwards you tell me i slept so well i don't remember anything i don't know anything you are there very much in sleep 
but are you a desirer in sleep? No. No, I am a desire. I desire not to be woken up. <laughs> that is not the same thing. In sleep, the desiring person collapses, subsides into this self, which is not a desiring person. In sleep, the, the controlling person subsides and gets a respite from controlling. And whether the controlling person gets a respite or not, other people want the controlling person to sleep so that they can have a respite from this person. That's for sure. So therefore, and in, in moments of sudden happiness, there is no control. In fact, one lets go when one is happy. So this, this itself shows that there is a problem in identifying oneself as a desiring person, as a wanting person. And if that itself is fraught with, a, fraught with certain risk, meaning it's not always true, it's risky to identify always as a desiring person, then what causes the desire, the discontentment which is imbued to the self is also something that we need to look at very carefully. What is this discontentment? You know, is it intrinsic to the self? Because that which is intrinsic, like even our trusty pot, you know, is clay, an intrinsic attribute of the pot. So, from the standpoint of the pot, clay is part and parcel of the pot. Without pot, without clay, there is no pot. But from the standpoint of the clay, you cannot say pot is intrinsic to clay. Because the clay can appear as a lump, as a lid, as a cup, as a jug, as a figurine. And so, from the standpoint of the clay, this is just so many manifestations, so many things, you know. So the pot is not intrinsic to clay. So if, if the, likewise, the discontentment is an intrinsic property of the self, which cannot be removed. But if the discontent is an occasional property of the self, Kabhi kabhi. Sometimes, sometimes, even though it looks permanent, it's not permanent. If that is the case, then there is hope for us. There is great hope. In the name of that hope is Gaivalya Upanishad. <laughs> that which shows the oneness. In fact, it's, it goes so far to say that there is nothing other than you. All there is is you. So what is it that you are spinning your wheels for? Whatever you want to achieve is already you. And there is nothing else other than you. There is not, nobody like you. There is nobody unlike you. All that there is is you. Everything that you see is a superimposition. And as though superimposition upon that self, just like so many parts, one clay. So many bodies, one Atma. Atma means self. Atma Vidya means knowledge of oneself, self-knowledge. So this is Atma Vidya. Atma Vidya means knowing oneself. So you see, from the Karta Bhokta cycle, what do you do? You shift to becoming the knower. Yeah. Not knower of discrete things other than you. Knower of objects? No. Knower of the subject? That is what is a student of Atma Vidya, the knower of the subject, I. This I, that is the cause of a lot of grief, a lot of tension, a lot of fear. This I, that is constantly misunderstood by all. And that is what is called self-ignorance. Self-ignorance has two parts. One is, I don't know myself. And this is what is the case with all animals. They don't know themselves. We talked about this earlier. 
but they don't have a complex centered on themselves as a result of that ignorance. There is no complex centered. They don't say I'm a bad dog. Dog doesn't say I'm actually God but my spelling is upside down. I should, I'm God spelled badly. No. <laughs> doesn't have a complex. And that complex is the one that causes problems. If you don't know who you are, it should not cause grief. But if it causes grief and tension, it clearly means that there is scope in the human life to take oneself to be what one is not. This is what is called in Sanskrit Anyatha Grahanam. The taking oneself to be what one is not, which is a costly mistake as a result of ignorance. Ignorance is called Agrahanam, not grasping the truth of myself. That cannot cause problems. So many things you don't know, they don't cause problems. Rope you don't know. An unknown rope cannot cause problems. Can, you, can it cause problems? No. no, because you don't know it's rope. But when you mistake the rope for what? Snake. <laughs> then it causes problems. So if somebody comes running and says, snake bit, snake bit, where? Show me the snake. Within quotes. And then they go outside and show you a rope with three bends. And they are very agitated. Very upset. I have only five minutes to live. I feel the toxin running through my body. Oh my God. Snake bite. You know. And it's not enough to tell them it's not a snake. What do you have to say? It is rope. And the sages knew this very well. And this superimposition of the snake upon the rope is therefore called Aropaha. <laughs> they knew that later on in the English language, the rishis, the sages knew that the word rope would be used. So superimposition is called Aropa. And Aropa causes problems. Aropa ropes you into thinking that I'm as good as this body, I'm as good as this mind, I'm as good as the senses, I'm, I'm in fact as good as the body means I'm no good at all. Why? Because the body is not good. Why is the body not good? Nothing works. <laughs> Nothing works. When? Well, most of the time. You know. And so therefore, identification with the finite is the ultimate Aropa. And this identification is this misidentification coming out of not knowing the truth of myself. And for this we need the Upanishad. Which is always a comforting thing to study. Because it reveals the truth of oneself in the form of a dialogue. Always there is a dialogue. Sometimes the teachers are known. Sometimes the teachers are not mentioned. Students' names are not mentioned. But it's always a special kind of a dialogue where intense listening is taking place. This is what is called the Upanishad. Shad to remove, to remove without a trace and to repatriate the self back, give, to hand the self back to the self is the meaning of the word Shad. Upani are affixes, prefixes. Upa means that which is the closest to you, which is nothing other than you. And ni, definitely this knowledge will take place. So from the doer and the enjoyer, I now become the knower, not of the objects. Because even the doer and the enjoyer has to have some knowledge of the object because you cannot desire an unknown thing. But here, I, I go from tatra to atra. <laughs> the problem is where? Idhar. And so where is the solution? Idhar. Problem is Atra. The solution is Atra. And if I don't know this, I roam around Yatra Tatra. <laughs> yeah. Yatra Tatra means helter skelter. This is what has to be understood. And so this Upanishad, you know, will reveal this in so many beautiful 
verses and it is a conversation between a sage Ashvalayana and the teacher who is none other than Prajapati, Lord Brahmaji who is the Devata of creation. So I will stop now because I want to save some time for question answers if anybody has any questions. Om Purnamadav Purnamidam Purnat Purnamudachyate Purnasya Purnamadagya Purnamevavashishyate Om Shanti 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 Harihi Om Shri Gurubhyo Namaha Harihi Om Yeah, questions. Yeah, that's a good question, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> How do you give up control and still bring up children? <laughs> In general, that's what you asked, I think. Yes. With difficulty and with prayerfulness. <laughs> that's the short answer. So, you know, <laughs> so you don't always know, you know. Sometimes you go too far. Yeah. The point is, if you know you're playing a role, you can drop it. If you can't drop it, that means you have identified with that desire to make them into something, to make them be a certain way, to make them want certain things, to make them do certain things. This is, you know, not for their own sake, but for yours. And it's hard to tell sometimes. And so therefore, I mean, of course, everything ultimately is for your sake, but even there, there is a small difference. And that's what we are talking about. So we have to be prayerful. And you know, sometimes one will make mistakes. You cannot be a parent without making mistakes. And therefore, one has to be prayerful. So if the mistakes are made, next time you will, you will not make that mistake. That's all. You know, somebody said it's okay to make mistakes as, well, as long as we make a new mistake each and every time. <laughs> That's all. We have to just strive in parenting to keep making new mistakes. <laughs> that is the definition of perfection. <laughs> To get the results of yajna, is it necessary to believe in the ritual? In other words, what role does belief play in getting the rituals? Very good question. This is a, uh, a to, to even, see, it's just a means and thing, you know. Nobody will do a yajna without having, because yajna, you know, I think if you are asking this question, I think you know how much it, it costs. It's a, it's a, in terms of effort, it costs a lot. In terms of money, some of them cost a lot. In terms of resources, it's a huge thing. Yajna is not just, you know, lighting one fire pit and putting things into the pit. That's not what we are talking about. It's a, it's a huge, you know, orchestration of many different things. And so, it's, a, it's an investment. And without knowing something, you know, you can invest in something without knowing about it. Or you can invest because you know something about it. Like the Indians always like to invest in gold. 24 karat gold. <laughs> they love jewelry and the jewelry is not for the sake of jewelry. It's considered an investment. So this is what we see. It is very beautiful. It's very interesting. So it can be an investment like that. But it's really here cause and consequence. Karma and karma phala. So even if there is no belief, what will happen? It will still it will still produce the results, but if there is belief, belief here is not uh, you know it's shraddha here what we are talking about. Shraddha means it will I don't understand all of it, but it will give some results. That is the understanding. So then, if there is shraddha, then it helps because my actions are more awareful than if there is no shraddha. If there is no shraddha, then I will just go through the motions and I will doubt it and the doubt itself casts a pall on the ritual. Because when I doubt, the, the, the doubting yajna performer, yajamana, the doubting yajamana will, will keep on you know compromising on the means in order to gain the end because there is no belief. Why if I put ghee? Why don't, like I was joking, why don't I do the yajna without ghee, you know? I'll substitute water. You know, you cannot do that. The ghee increases the fire, the water puts it out. So, so this way, uh, so if there is belief, there is more of an investment of oneself, not just of the ingredients, the samagri, the material needed for the yajna, 
So therefore it helps. But even if one is not believing, it will deliver the results. That is, that is definitely true of the yajna. Hinduism is a recent coinage. True. What did we call Hinduism today accepts the Vedas as Pramana. If Hinduism can be called a religion, this religion is harmonious with Vedic teaching. In fact, the practices are Vedic unlike Abrahamic traditions. While Hinduism cannot claim soul, is the Western secular associating with semi-barbarism. While Hindus cannot claim soul proprietorship, we cannot dissociate the Vedas from Hinduism. No. No, there is no need to dissociate. I am not talking of dissociation. I am talking of association. <laughs> I am talking the, about something that is all inclusive. I am not talking of exclusion. I am talking the, about the fact that the Veda is the property of humanity. If it's a property at all. It's something to guide everyone. Yeah. So it's like saying, you know, you have been crowned the king of India. One man uh, was told. And the man said, does that include the village of Raipur also? Yes, it includes the village of Raipur, which is situated in India, no problem. So we are not talking of any kind of dissociation. We are talking of an inclusivity that it is for everybody. Because the Veda predates what we call Hindu and everything. So we should not, even though it is the holy text of the Hindus, it should not be seen as only being pertinent to one group of people who identify as Hindu. Because this is something that transcends religion. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. Transcends what we have in mind as organized religion or the practices. Because what we are talking about is the, is the overarching, uh, the philosophy, the truth. It has a truth which is pertinent to everyone. Yeah. Oh.